0: this theme of the movement um, because God is always moving. God is always active. God is always doing something and we want to recapture that and reimagine what that looks like. And as we get started, I want to look at a picture. Some of you may have seen this. I think this is on the 55 freeway and it says, atheism is philanthropy without uh, mythology and peace without superstition. This was on the the, um, What is it, Orange County Register Online? I haven't actually seen this because it's out by Westminster. But when I say things like this, it used to make me upset. It used to make me upset that, oh, come on, really? But we as Christians do this all the time too, right? Like we have our billboards, so now they'd feel like, well, it is a free country, so they can have their own billboards. What bothers me is when it says that atheism is philanthropy without mythology or peace without superstition. Because the last time I checked, Christianity was philanthropy without mythology. And Christianity was peace without superstition. Amen? Amen. Because Christianity isn't even about philanthropy. Christianity's primary basis isn't even peace, is it? Our faith is about of a God who creates all things, moves all things. Our faith isn't even primarily about what we feel about God or what we believe about God, but our faith is in God and in Jesus. Our faith isn't about philanthropy, although it is a part of how we express our faith in God, right? We give. Sometimes we give to the church, sometimes and we're going to give you an opportunity to give, right? And we don't need any Bible story or mythology to remind us that this God of the universe is a giving God, and so as a response to that, sometimes we give as well. Although we may get peace in the process of our faith and our experience of of experiencing God in our lives, although that may be a part of it, it is not just about peace. Because the central story of our faith is that a man dies, right? Is that peace? Is that happy? No. So when I see this sign, I, I have a sense of mind, and I looked on their website, and I was just reading and I just, I was like, wanted to call, like, I want to go to one of their meetings because it says it's open to anybody, even religious people, so that we can help to take the blinders off, and uh, and I was like, I want to go, and I just want to listen. I want to go because I want to say, I think you've gotten us confused. Christianity is about more than what we get out of it. Christianity is about what God has been doing all along and how God has called us to be a part of this work in this world. Amen? That's what Christianity is about. And if we have peace and if we have fullness and if we have meaning and if we have joy and happiness as a part of this, then I'm happy, but it isn't always that way, right? Life isn't always perfect or peaceful. Sometimes we don't even have anything to be philanthropic with but our faith never wavers. Shall we pray? Oh God, would that you shine through us like stars in the darkness. That as we open up the scriptures this morning and as we look at what you've been doing all along, that you would continue to transform us through your spirit and that we would be the creation that you've always longed for. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we always do, when we come to church, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at a story verses 1 through 10, but as you see in the first slide, we're going to, we're going to have to break it up a little bit for us to really get the understanding of what is going on here. This week, I'm preaching from this text. And in two weeks, when I preach again, I will be preaching from the same text because it tells us two very different stories. And I could go for an hour, but I think that I might lose you somewhere after 40 minutes. So if you come back in two weeks, you'll get part two of this. But we're starting, and it's Acts 3, chapter 1. And it begins with one day. One day is a deeply theological phrase. Did you know that? No? Now, you guys like, what's the punchline? It is. It's a deeply theological phrase because every day that you are alive is a gift from who? And every day that you are alive, you have the opportunity to live up to your God-given potential. In the Bible, when you have stories that begin with the phrase, one day, what it's really saying on this one particular day, something is about to happen. But I have a sense, and I don't know which one of you this is true for, but I have a sense that at some point you've woken up in the morning, probably too early than you would like, and you think to yourself, I don't want to go to work today. I don't want to go to that job that I hate. If you're a student, I know this is true. You've probably woken up at some point, and I know I did, Um, but you wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, yeah, I... I don't want to go to class today. Maybe you didn't do your homework or, or you didn't study for the quiz. And I, I noticed that we have a special guest here who served as my mentor, um, and he still does in some ways. But there was even times, yes, that I slept through seminary classes. But it's okay because the conference didn't pay for my seminary. <laughs> nice joke. Ha ha. But there were moments and there were times in my life where I would wake up, and I used to work in an insurance, agent, an insurance company over the summer, and I would wake up at six in the morning during summer when every good student should be asleep till at least nine or ten. I would wake up and think to myself, I hate this job, I don't wanna to go to work. You see, when you wake up in the morning, you have the choice. That today you will either look for every moment that you have for God to pour himself into you and for you to do something amazing, live into every moment that you have and make it the very best, or you can choose to settle for that relentless monotony of life that, well, I have to go to work eight hours or I have to work ten hours because I have to get paid to live in this house and to pay for all these things. And so your life just becomes a cycle of working. I... I used to think that as long as I was in a job that kept me busy, it was good, right? Because what happens when you're kept busy? Time runs super fast, right? And when you're doing something you don't want, you want it to go by really fast, right? The problem with that is that that's your life. The problem is that when you've worked those eight hours as much as you hate that place or as difficult as it may be, you don't get those hours back. And when you go home after a job like that, even if you have kids, it's like, okay, I just want to relax and I don't want to do anything. Let me just veg out here. Maybe I'll turn the television on. Maybe, maybe I'll go do some exercise, whatever it is. And what happens is when we try to fast forward through the uncomfortable moments of our lives, what happens is we may be missing out on some opportunities that God has already prepared for you. One day, is a deeply theological, it's pregnant with meaning, because on any given day, because we've already established that God is always at work, on any given day, God may be needing you to be alert because maybe he has something for you to do, but if you're just trying to get through it because it's uncomfortable or you don't like certain things, you may be missing out on something that God has for you to do that day. Have you ever thought about it like that? Now, my job, I get to live into these moments all the time because that's where I'm called and I'm blessed. I'm lucky, I'll say it. I'm lucky, I'm blessed. I'm, whatever it is, I love this job. And so I get to look for these moments because that's kind of what I'm supposed to do. But for you, it's also what you're supposed to do. And the, and the amazing thing is that I minister mostly to people who are already Christians, right? That's who I minister to, to you. You have the opportunity to minister to people who may not even believe in God. Have you ever thought about that? Your job that some may call secular is not, that's a bad term anyway, you may have the opportunity to have moments where you can give witness and honor to God. So how you do your work is a witness to God. How you interact with people as much as trouble as you've had with them, and I've been there and I've not always acted Christ-like in these situations, But you have the opportunity to witness to God on a daily basis. You see, you think that witnessing God is we have to go door to door. But the reality is, is that God is giving you an opportunity in every interaction that you have, whether at the grocery store, at the mall, when you're getting your oil changed, wherever you are with your neighbor, God is giving you an opportunity to witness to him by the way you treat others. And so the question I have for you is, are you taking advantage of this gift of life? So one day, one day, there's another text in the book of Lamentations where this entire book of Lamentations in the Old Testament is just filled with laments. The Israelites are sad. They are hurt because they have done what they weren't supposed to. And yet in the midst of all of that, there is this passage that says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. When do they come to an end? They are new every... So maybe we could say it every morning, every time you wake up, God's blessings are new. That's gospel. They are new every day. Great is your faithfulness. And it says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. These are the promises of God. When you wake up in the morning, remember this, that in the book of Lamentations, the Israelites, they were down and out, and they were like, there is no more hope. And what does the scripture say? That the Lord's blessings are new every day. The problem is our eyes aren't always open to see them. Because sometimes we just look at all of the bad stuff in our lives. And I think that as Christians, we also have to learn to look at all of the good things and all of the blessings. Because if we do that, we will claim these promises. So, we go on. Acts 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, this is just a side note, but I want to be able to kind of extrapolate from the text Peter and John were going to the temple at 3 o'clock at the, what does it say, at the hour of prayer. So what the ancient Israelites and the Jewish people did, and to a sense still do, there was different prayer times, 9 a.m., 12 p.m., and 3 p.m. They would go to the temple and have a special prayer. Do you remember the story of Daniel, who used to pray three times a day? This is what he was doing. He had no temple, so he was looking towards the temple, kind of out the window, but it was fixed hours of prayer. How many of you have ever tried that? I, for a year, I tried to practice fixed hour of prayers. And so it was like five times a day. And what it was, it was like 9 a.m., 12 a.m., 3, and then 6. That's the way I did it. And then 9 every three hours. Can I tell you how difficult it is to stop whatever you're doing and pray? Have you ever been watching something on television and said, it's time to pray, turned it off, and prayed? Or are you more like, oh, when this show is done, right before I go to bed, then I'm going to pray. What happens when you intentionally pray is you intentionally, intentionally refocus your attention on God. When you are intentional about praying, what you're doing is, what you're saying, the statement you're making is that no matter how important, whatever it is that you're doing, I'm going to stop and I'm going to recenter and refocus myself on God. Do you know how powerful that is? I know that most of you, all of you, are probably very busy all day long. And you guys are probably thinking, well, Pastor, you have time to do that because you're a pastor, and what do you do all week? I mean, that's the truth. Come on. You know, I I know that people think that because I hear that all the time, mostly from my best friends and my kids, but they're in school all day. They don't know. I tell them, during this season of my life, I'm here when you come home from school because that's important to me. As you get older, I won't always be here at this time. But when you pray, you center, you focus, and you make a proclamation in your life that you are here to serve God. I want to challenge you, some of you, to do that. Stop and pray. doesn't have to be any special prayer. It doesn't have to be from a prayer book. Just Pray. And the story goes on. And a lame man from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called Beautiful so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. That's kind of ironic. You're a crippled from birth, and yet they place you in front of a thing called a beautiful gate. And so they place him there for him to ask for alms Alms is just asking for money, for food, for shelter, for whatever it was that he needed. It's basically that's what it was. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Now, what would happen in the first century is that people, religious people, types like myself, may have gone to the temple. And what they would do, because Jesus talks about this in another place, is that they would give, you know, alms but it was in the form of coins and they did that because they would raise their hand higher and let it fall and you know that the higher your hand is if you're dropping something that makes noise may make a little more noise right so it became a show what happened is that these crippled people and the lame people and the sick people they were just kind of used as a here you know make myself look better and so this man he would just kind of take whatever he could get because he had nothing And Peter and John, they respond, and he took, oh, do you guys see what happened? There's a whole passage missing. If you have your Bible, I ask you to continue to look there. And so Peter and John, they looked intently at the man, and they said, look at me. And then Peter says this, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We live in a world where money is a universal language. If you have it, you're probably going to live a more comfortable life. If you don't have it, it makes your life very uncomfortable. Amen? Yeah, if you've ever known what it's like to not have very much, I don't know, college students, for instance, but if you know what it's like to not have very much, it can be painful. We live in a world where everything, everything is based on money. So if we look at the news and we look at the stock market going up and down, I stop look, watching the news, like I'll read the news on You know on the internet but it just gets like you know i'm just like i I was like oh today was a good day oh today was a bad today was a good day today was a bad day it's like up and down up and down and everything is just shaped by money everything is our entire existence is focused around money and we put our trust in money because my wife and i we budget a certain amount and if that amount doesn't come in then things kind of get thrown off kilter you know what i mean Everything functions around money, and Peter, he comes up to this man, and he says, silver and gold, money have I none, but such as I have, all that I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. How many of you have ever been experiencing something very difficult in your life? It can be anything physical, financial, mental, whatever it was, relationships, And you're in like a, in between a rock and a hard place where you're just like, I man, I am out. Like I have no more hope. Like everything just goes from bad to worse. And then somebody comes alongside you and says, "Let me pray for you." Is that always helpful? Come on, honest. This is reality right here. It's not always helpful, is it? And sometimes you don't even want them to say that because you're like, I've been praying and nothing's happening. And so I used to hate when people would do that, like, oh, man, you know, I'm just going through this tough time, whatever, whatever, whatever. Oh, here, let me pray for you. At first it works, and after a while you're just like, wait, no, just help me. I need a dollar for food. Not, Not me personally, you know what I'm saying? But I need this or I need that. This is how you can help me. And all they would say is, let me pray for you. And then what I was painfully reminded of this week as I prepared this message is that prayer is God's way. Prayer is the prescription that the early Christians, when they came across someone in need, they prayed with the power of Christ. They prayed because they still believed that God could still do amazing things. And so, the question that we have to ask ourselves, or rather, the question that I've wrestled with all week, is do I still believe that God can do amazing and powerful things? Because my mind, it says, yes, I know I'm supposed to believe that. But sometimes because of the way things happen, I don't always see it with my eyes. But I am reminded that just because I don't get my way doesn't mean that God is still not at work. Now, we, um, I prayed intently this week with another pastor. And I think God answered a prayer. It wasn't even affecting me. It was affecting someone close to me. And God answers. Do you think that's coincidence when we're reading this text? I've had this text ready for four weeks, five weeks. And what happens at the beginning of this week reaffirms that this is still true. When people go through difficult circumstances, the early Christians, the people that were closest to Jesus, their response was, let me pray for you. And it wasn't that they were holier. It wasn't that they had some magical power. It was that they believed that God could still do amazing things. And so we go on. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He had not been in the temple. This was the first time that this man who couldn't walk was walking into the temple. It's as though he had been close enough, but he couldn't enter into the presence of the temple. And they recognized him as the one who used to sit back and ask for alms at the, gate, at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The question that remains to be asked is the crippled man wanted money for food. What Peter and John give him is Christ. They didn't give him money. They didn't say, hey, okay, now we made you walk. Now we helped you to walk. Now here, have this care package, and we set you up in this hotel. Did they do any of that? They gave him Jesus, and that made all the difference. And so the question that remains to be asked and for you to answer is, whatever it is difficulty that you're going through, is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough? enough for you because when we go into eternity it'll only be you us and jesus is jesus enough for you or are you still asking for more because if you have jesus isn't that more than enough If you have Jesus, the Son of God, the one who gives you life and life eternally, if you have Jesus, is that not enough, no matter what may happen in your life? Is Jesus enough for you? And I have another passage that I want to share with you. Philippians chapter 4, now Paul comes in on the mix. And so they're asking him some questions, and he says, Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have, I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says, I've learned the secret of being content." For Paul, he says, to live, for me to be alive, is Christ. Everything I do, everything I owe, my existence is for Christ. So when he says, I've learned the secret of being content, he's saying, I know what it's like to be in power. Right, he was the guy that was persecuting Christians. I mean, he had like a letter from the emperor saying, like, "Hey, you can do whatever you want to, just ex- you know, extinguish this flame of Christianity." And that's what Paul used to do. He knew what it was like to have everything and everything going perfectly, and he also knows what it's like to have everything going horribly bad. This is a guy who people try to stone to death. Has anybody ever tried to kill you? This is a guy who was. Pushed off a cliff and he still lived. Has that ever happened to you? This is a man who has experienced the, ex- the the extremes, having everything and having absolutely nothing, being safe and being in fear for his life. Who he would ultimately die for his faith. He was imprisoned. I've never been to jail. I hope I never go to jail. You know, knock on wood. I that's superstition. I get it, but you get what I'm saying. He lived everything. And he says, through it all, none of that stuff mattered because I believed in the one who strengthens me to do all things. And I have learned the secret of being content. Some would say it was the secret of being at peace. And it wasn't because he was earning it. It was because he believed in the God who had the power. You know, I think um, if we could learn the secret to being content... If Jesus would just be enough for each one of us, your life would look very different. Now, I'm not thinking of any one specific person except for myself. And in my heart and in my mind, I believe that Jesus is enough. But sometimes I find myself thinking of God as this cosmic Santa Claus. And I keep praying and saying, God, I need you to do this. And God, I need you to do this. And I need this to happen. And I need this. Yeah, I do that. And then I'm reminded it's not up to you. God's ways are not my ways. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways. And that's uncomfortable. But what, G- but what God doesn't refuse us is Christ. He may not always reveal everything to us from a bird's eye view, right? Like, I would like to see how my life is going to be charted from now until the day I die. I would like that. And I would like to help it along. That's not how God works. What does work is having faith in Christ and faith that God will lead you forward. And I want to now, I want to invite you to open the red Bibles that are in front of you, if you have them, if you can share. You know, I, I've, I get used to putting texts on the screen because then we have all the same translation, but I think that even though the scripture on the screen is still inspired, right? It's still what you find in the Bible. I think sometimes it's nice for us just to kind of open up the Bible and have it in front of us. Um, Page 420 or 420, Psalm 84. And we're asking the question, is Jesus enough? Is that enough for you? Is that enough for your faith? Is it enough? And I want to look at verse 1 and says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty? How lovely is your dwelling place? It's it's hard to preach from the Psalms, so I just want to read this, kind of capture the first century um, temple scene where somebody would stand up and read. And so I just want you to read along with me. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty? My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, for even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. Dry lands, by the way, metaphorical. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. So as though you walk... Through the darkest valley, or from Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no one, for you are with me. And here the psalmist again writes, though you walk through the valley of Baca, there is no water, there is no springs. These people of faith make it into a place of flowing water. Verse seven, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon your shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. And now verse 10 is what I really want to kind of pause at. Ask the question, is Jesus enough? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who walks, who trusts in you. Is Jesus enough for you? Though I walk through the valley of Baca, horrible, horrible, heat and dryness it doesn't say that god makes it better it says that the people who walk through it the people of faith make it into a place of springs you see life god doesn't go and prepare the path for us he prepares you to walk through the darkest valley but the question must always be at the forefront of your mind is jesus enough for me We start getting greedy and we start asking for more and more and more. And I would say that when you start asking for all of these things, just stop and remember what God has already done for you. And if God has been faithful in the past, God is faithful in the present and God will be faithful in the future. The man crippled from birth, he gets up and what does he do? Does he run to go see his family? Does he run to go, you know, a marathon, whatever? What does he do? He runs and walks, in, rather, walks into the temple, jumping and praising God. My challenge and my prayer for you is that as you take the moment to think about the blessings that God has bestowed upon you, and they are many, that you would be moved to praise God that you would be moved to know that he is in control and he will keep you. Let us pray. God, it is our prayer. It is my prayer that my heart would always long and even yearn to be in your presence. That though all of other things that happen in life happen, Lord, my prayer is that you would always remind us of what you've done for us that we would have faith in a future with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.